0: Welcome back to a new episode of the All Things Croatia podcast. I'm your host, Stan Kozovac. Born and raised in Los Angeles, I'm now living in Zagreb and studying the Croatian language. Before we start, just do me a favor and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening, as well as the Facebook and Instagram page. In this series, I'll be talking with people both in the homeland and around the globe who have connections to Croatia. We'll hear from startups, returning diaspora, musicians and athletes, and the biggest Croatian celebrities that will return my calls. But enough about me, Ida Dalje, and let's get started. All right, what's up everybody? Today we have a special guest, Debra Gavranic from North Queensland, Australia. Deborah recently published a book called The Girl Who Left, which tells the story of her mom's journey from Korcula to the cane fields of Australia. In this episode, we're going to talk about that and discover the inspiration for writing her mom's story. Deborah, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Stanko. I feel um, delighted to be here.
0: Yeah, thank you for coming on. And you actually, you had reached out to me through email uh, the other week. You had heard one of the podcast episodes and, you know, I haven't had a chance to read the book yet. But I have to say right off the bat, I really like the cover art.
1: Oh, that's interesting because I was going to self-publish and I'd organised everything beforehand and the cover was done by a friend of mine I went to university with who was an occupational therapist who then became a graphic artist and um, she did the cover and and we loved it. And then a publisher picked it up and said, oh no, I want to do the cover and um, and she said, send me what you've got. And as soon as she saw the cover, she goes, no, I love it. And it's uh, <laughs> it's yeah so it's a feather in the cap of my friend from uni and um, it's it's a beautiful cover yeah
0: is it based on a real picture or did she just
1: I sent her um the boat left from pre pre I always struggle with that word in kochala and um, when she first did it um, it didn't look like the Croatian houses and so I said you've got to put in a bell tower you've got to make it look a little bit more Croatian so she did she didn't have enough hills there but I think I'd told her to change it enough so I let it lie and um, yeah but the bell tower was good just to try and make it look like a Croatian village yeah so she did look at photos of Prigrodica yeah no actually sorry I think it was I sent her Vallaluca but uh, so yeah but anyway she looked at some photos and tried to make it look like a little Croatian island (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it's a very pretty picture. Um, and also,
1: I sent photos of my mo- mother actually, and what she was wearing when she left. So she had, she's got my mother's sort of build and um, what my mother's hair looked like. She was very um, true to her course.
0: Ah, uh, very cool to hear. Now that that this book, "The Girl Who Left," is a story of your mom's journey from Cortula. Uh, can you give a little bit of background about you know your family on Cortula?
1: Yeah, it's actually most of it is actually set in Croatia actually it's it basically starts when she's 18 and and there's this um my father lives in far north Queensland and is looking for a bride from the old town and um and my mother became a proxy bride and then the the story goes back to when she's nine um and um the island was invaded by the Italians during world war ii so about a third of the story is set during world war ii And I did a lot of historical research on that. And while I was over in Croatia in the library in Blato, my mother and father were from the village of Blato in the middle of Korcula. And um, I I found a lot of um, books that told me exactly what went on during World War II. And my auntie was a partisan and my mother helped the partisans in the hills. And um, so it's a story of her life as a child during occupation because there was Italy and then there was Germany. Um, And then the transition to to communism because my family was a very strong Catholic family so how their lives were affected by communism and um, then very soon after it tells the story of her and the proxy marriage and coming over by boat um, by herself to Australia and meeting my father a year after she would married him so she left all of her family. She didn't know if she'd see them again and um, all for the chance of a better life, really. And there were a lot of proxy brides that happened. My godmother in Tully, she was 15 or 16 when she came and there was about five from the village that came with her. And this was 1952. And then it's the story of a migrant, of how she was in, in, on a farm in far North Queensland, trying to adapt to the Australian way of life and having a family. And then it tracks forward to her. She went back two more times to Croatia, and it tells of those stories there. So it's a it's a bit of a mixed story, a bit of um, history about the war, and then also a migrant story. And I've found I've had a lot of reaction from the diaspora in Australia, but a lot of the men, a lot of men have reached out and said they really enjoyed this story because it's it's a lot of it is based on it's based on truth. It's 95% true. And it's um, on history, actually. And my publisher said that I've actually got a little niche in the market there. There's been no <clears throat> stories about what happened in Croatia, former Yugoslavia during World War II and the effect on, um, on the villages on, on this island. So I'm hmm. quite proud of the story and the response I've had to it.
0: Yeah, well, it's very cool you were able to write that down and get that put together. Um, I wanted to ask about the. Your mother was a proxy bride. You said from your father. Yes, a lot of people in... don't know what
1: a proxy bride is.
0: <laughs> yeah, can you can you explain a little about that and how that happened?
1: Yeah, um, a lot of people think it's an arranged marriage, but no, it's not an arranged marriage. A proxy bride, or they call it over there, a procurer or procurement, is um, means that the groom is not present at the wedding. Okay, it's a legal binding process, and my mother. Um, the, there were a lot of Italians in my, my town in Mossman, and the, Italy had a different situation because they weren't communists. So the Italian women could leave, come and live with the families, and then decide if they want to marry. And my father suggested that my mother, he he bring my mother out and see if they like each other. But because former Yugoslavia was under communist rule, she couldn't leave. So they had to, she had to be married before she could leave. So what happened? They sent photos to each other and they communicated by letters and then they decided, yes, they would want to get married. And my father's first cousin in the village stood in as a groom. And so we've got wedding photos of my mother in a beautiful white dress. Then my father sent material over from Australia because there was no fabric left after the war. Women were making dresses out of parachutes left over from the war. And, um, and his first cousin, uh, Kuzma Anich actually stood in. So we've got this photo of this man that wasn't my father in the wedding photo. They go through the whole process. It wasn't, they weren't allowed to have church weddings because it was communist. They had a sneaky church wedding later because um, her, her cousin was the parish priest. Um, and then it took about a year for the paperwork because my mother had to have health checks and visas before she could actually leave former Yugoslavia and come to Australia. So, and then she met him and um, they were legally married. They had a little party when she got here, but um, they didn't need to do any more legalities. A proxy marriage is legally binding. Wow. Yeah, no, brave lady.
0: Yeah, for sure. And she had never met him then until, I think you said a year after the wedding. Yeah, a year after
1: the wedding and then a boat trip. And then when she got to Australia, he wasn't even there to meet her because he wasn't allowed to leave the farm. His father came down to collect her. And, um, and um, she travelled up to Mossman from Sydney, which is like probably 3,000 kilometres uh, on a train with her father-in-law who, um, and then finally met my father. So it was quite a, quite a journey actually for her. For a, she, was, she was 19. She turned 20 on the boat coming over
0: wow yeah it sounds like quite the journey and so your your father her husband was born in croatia and then left to australia to work on the farm there
1: yeah well he left when he was about four so um in the 1920s after world war one there was um this uh, aphid called phylloxera that destroyed a lot of the the um vineyards all the the grapes and um a lot of people left my parents' village in the 1920s. Um, this was a village that started off with about 10,000 people and one day a boat left carrying 1,000 people. And they went to America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South America were the main destinations for the people from this village. And so my, fa- my grandfather came over first and he cut cane, made enough money to bring over his wife and my father and his brother. And so my father was about four. He's got, he had very few memories of of Blato. And then his younger sister was born in Australia. My auntie, Mary, who's quite a major character in my book. She's 91 and still alive and living in her own home in Mossman. So yes, so my, for some reason, we don't know why dad picked a, wanted to have a proxy bride because he was, quite good looking and sporty and he had girlfriends in Mossman and even his sister doesn't know why he did it but he opted for a proxy bride and um, we're thinking that he thought maybe someone from the old country would be happy to be isolated on a village and work on a farm and work hard. I don't know he said (laughs) the Mossman girls just wanted to shop so. (laughs) (laughs) maybe he wanted good stock from the old country who knows because my parents died quite a long time ago so we didn't i didn't get a chance to ask Uh, so yeah so he was he was croatian he spoke croatian but he was very much australian he went to school in australia he was he was a bit of an aussie larrikin actually Hmm. Hmm.
0: great man a lovely man do you know why he chose or his family chose australia was that just sort of the circumstances of the boats whichever you can get on or was there a choice i
1: think i think you you go to where your village people from your village have gone Mm. and so this area in cairns um there are a lot of people from my village so i think a group of them come and once someone's there they sponsor more to come and um, so far north queensland are a lot of people from blato and sydney Uh, Broken Hill and Perth, they're the four areas in Australia, like Brisbane, the capital of Queensland. There's not many people from my village. There's no one. So, but there's a huge population in Sydney. So I think they just go, and I know there's a lot that have gone to San Francisco. Mm. So I guess it depends on, as you say, where the boat's going, but also where you know people that you know to go to.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. When my, my grandma left um, from the communist regime in 1960 and made her way up to Italy in the refugee camp there, and a Catholic charity was working with her you know, to give her refugee status somewhere else, and they asked where she wanted to go, and she had originally told them Australia. And I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I don't think she knew anyone over there. I'm not really sure, but she had told them Australia, and they said, well, um, JFK, John F. Kennedy, is going to be president soon, we think, and he's Catholic, and we're a Catholic charity, so we think you might have a better chance of being accepted if you choose the U.S. So that's how she oh. ended up choosing the U.S. and <laughs> ended up getting wow. refugee status there. But originally, for some reason, I don't know, she um, Australia was her first choice.
1: What area of um, Croatia was your was your family from?
0: She was from Herzegovina, a oh, city yeah, called Dubrovnik. Herzegovina,
1: yes, yep, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, no, it was a very tricky time, Catholicism and communism, wasn't it? Like yeah. my, um, my parents were very, my grandparents were very strong Catholics. And as I said, my mum's cousin was the parish, parish priest in her village. And um, it was very hard pra- to be a practicing Catholic.
0: Mm-hmm, I'm sure, yeah. It's, it's also interesting, though, to see the um, anthropology sort of of all the diaspora and how they ended up spreading mm. out and where they went and who went where. Um, what yes. what did your mom think of Australia when she arrived? Or I mean, well, living there in general. She loved the
1: food. She loved the food because she'd she'd starved during World War Two. They had no food. They boiled grass Jeez. and drank grass with a bit of sea salt. They 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 had they were hungry, and that was one of the main reasons that uh, my mum left because my grandparents thought she would have a better life. And and she actually helped them a lot by sending back lots of money and and clothes and things like that. Um, So on the boat over, coming over, she could not believe the food. Um, There's a funny story my my cousin told me that my mother had said that when she went to her first dinner, there was a bread roll beside her plate and she put it in her pocket for later. (laughs) And every time she went to a meal, she kept collecting bread rolls until she had about 18 in her drawer going mouldy and she realised that there would be food every time. She was just wow. so used to being hungry, and so when she came to Australia, she was amazed, first of all, at the food. She had this wonderful love affair with bread all her life. She loved bread, and I think genetically she's passed it on to all of us. We just love bread. <laughs> and um, but she was one thing that was really quite frightening with her. For her was being on the a sugarcane farm because she was isolated. She came from a little village where she had. She knew everyone nearly in the village and they were all neighbours and she would walk to the farm with the donkey, but she lived in a village. Whereas she came, Mossman is a little town north of Cairns, but my my dad had a farm in a place called Cassowary Valley, which is a few kilometres away from Mossman. So she was isolated and as soon as the cane grew, she couldn't see any houses because there was one house across the paddock and she said she used to stand on a chair and look out the kitchen window to see the roof because she felt so lonely and so isolated. Um, so she suffered like that. She was very lucky that she had, my um, auntie was living in the house when she first arrived and got married a year later and she was a year older. Uh, my auntie was a year older so they became very good friends so she, and my auntie was a wonderful woman and my dad was lovely too so she had a lot of love and support but like She had to work hard on that farm and and just all the animals. Like, within the first week, she had to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and go feed the Clydesdale horses, and there were cane toads everywhere. I don't know if you've ever seen a cane toad, Stanko.
0: No, I'm not sure what that is.
1: Oh, my gosh. It's this revolting... It's like a frog, but it's ugly, and it's a (sighs) pest that was introduced from, I think, the West Indies in the 19... 40s to um, eat the cane beetles on the sugar cane farm and the mo- they're the most ugliest, ugliest animal with like warty things all over them and they, they were just a pest. They're all over the farm and 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 we're full of snakes. My dad used to keep a gun in the, in the bathroom that he'd shoot snakes with and um, there was lots of really unusual animals like a bird called the curlew that cries at night and and sounds like a baby crying or being killed there was heaps of fauna and flora that she had to get used to that she found quite uh and spiders really lots of spiders i mean anyone thinks of australia it's of all the um all the all the nasty animals we have and the crocodiles <laughs> yeah. and
0: so that's so not just a stereotype of,
1: no it's not it's not no you don't <laughs> go swimming like where crocodiles are now protected and you can't cull them. So there's crocodiles everywhere in far north Queensland. And, and, and it was, and it's far north Queensland, it's hot, it's humid, it's like, you know, temperatures are really hot, much hotter than the village she'd come from. And, and then we have a wet season that it rains for two months nonstop. So there was a lot of environmental things she had to get used to, as well as the animals. And then Being, I think she was the only proxy bride in the town, so just trying to make her way into this little community. And, you know, my mother was just a really um, wonderful woman. And I remember interviewing my auntie saying, you know, what was it like when she arrived? Could she speak English? And my auntie said, no, she couldn't, but she learnt really quickly. She had to, to survive, you know, she, to be part of this little community. And, and she laughed a lot, my mother. She had a great sense of humour and and endeared herself to this community. So it was, it was tough, but I think she was really grateful for this opportunity. Like she had food, you know, cane farmers were quite well off. She was able to help her family back in Croatia and she... Um, and she had freedom. She had religious freedom. She, was, she used to go to church every Sunday. She was a very much part of the church. And, um, yeah, so I think she was resilient and she adopted this new country as her own. And she was grateful. She was always grateful for what Australia provided her f-
0: with. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's a huge, I mean... That's a huge change going from Kortula to Australia with, you know, a husband that you haven't met in person yet and in a country where they don't speak your language. I yep. mean, yeah, she must have been very brave. At, and you said at 19, she left, turned 20 on the boat.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah. And, and she said a wonderful thing to all of us children growing up. We used to say, yeah, but Mum, you know, how did you find dad? And she said, you know, he was a good man and love grows. Yeah, and they were Very. They had a very happy marriage.
0: Mm-hmm. And and when they had you, was that you were born also on the cane farm and grew up there?
1: Yeah, yeah. They, they had four children. I'm the youngest of four. Um, and we had a really idyllic childhood. You know, I I loved growing up on the sugar cane farm. And um, and we sold it when I was uh 14. We all went to boarding school because there was um there was only one little school in our village in our town, but um, our parents really wanted us to all go to university and so we got sent to boarding school and then went on to university and um, my father wasn't terribly well so at fifty when my I only had one brother and when he finished school and said no he didn't want the farm he was going to become a, a doctor. Um, my father at 50 sold the farm and we moved to Cairns, which is um, quite a nice touristy city, about an hour down the road. And um, my father retired, and um, yeah, we'd all basically almost left home by then. I was at boarding school, but my older siblings were married or had, were at university. So, but our childhood was lovely on the farm, and the, the little valley that our farm, our sugarcane farm, was in was quite an ethnic valley we had a lot of croatians and italians in that um in that little valley and my my brother said a funny thing the other day he said because they all spoke croatian as their first language because my mother was finding it hard to learn english by the time i was born everyone was speaking english so it wasn't my first language but my brother said you know he grew up thinking everyone had a bubba and a didda that was just like cause there was a little <laughs> valley full of of farmers with bubbas and diddas then he realized that no there were people that had grand grandma and granddad not bubba and didda
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's funny did w- yeah. did your parents ever go back to croatia during you know to visit
1: yeah well my father didn't he he never went on an airplane he'd take a bus somewhere <laughs> he would not get on an airplane but My father um, sent my mum back when they sold the farm in 1974. He said, "Okay, um, first thing I'll do is I'll send you back to the old country. And so she went with my godmother, who was the proxy bride in Tully. The two girls went back together to see their families. And um, it was a big thing for them because her, her father had passed away in the interim. So she never did get to see her father again. And she was very, very close to her father, much more so than her mother. And so that was really hard for her um, going back and her father was gone. But she went back and um, spent a few months with the family and she saw her sisters and her mother was still alive and her, she was very close to her. Her, one of her brother was 13 when she left and he was a man in his 30s. She went back after, I think, 21, 22 years. And then um, and then she came back home and um, she was diagnosed with cancer when she was 62, and um, which was very tragic. And we um, told her we wanted her to see her family again, so we sent her back one final time before she passed away to see her brothers, brother and sisters again. So she went back twice. Yeah, one, and the second time she went back, it was we thought the homeland war was over, but it, there was sort of fighting started again, and. Um, it was in 1995 so we brought her back early because the war was raging in bosnia Herzegovina, and and there was still a little bit of war happening in Croatia so it was it was frightening for her because one of the reasons she said she left in the first place she was she hated living through World War II and she was worried that there would be another war and she was right there was more war you know so she came back and she saw the tanks rumbling past and said it just it just chilled her bones to see that that her countrymen were at war again and that the young men were being called to war
0: yeah that's sad to to go back and visit and the same reason that you left is is happening again
1: yeah yeah it's quite frightening for her and i mention all this in the book just her feelings and what what was happening in the homeland war and things like that
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Deborah, what gave you the the idea to start writing a book about your mom's story?
1: Well, it's interesting because as a little girl, I was always quite fascinated by her story—the fact that she married someone without meeting him, with just seeing a photo of him—and um, and I always felt um, quite attached to Croatia because we used to get photos of of. By cousins, we have we have. I have a lot more family over there than in Australia. All my mother's family, and I was just fascinated by her whole story and the fact that, you know, I'm 100% Croatian. My parents are from this village, and I always wanted to tell this story, but you know, life gets in the way. I, I was busy studying, working. I'm a physiotherapist by trade, um, and I work four days a week. And then uh, both my parents died quite young before I actually. Had a chance to get their stories. So um, probably about five years ago, I started researching, and I've 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 been to Croatia a number of times to visit all my first cousins and aunts and uncles, and I've become a citizen. Um, Last year, I became a citizen, and um, and then about three years ago, I was able to cut my work down to four days a week. So Wednesday was my day off, and that would be my writing day. So I did all this research, and I. I, I wanted to write this story, and the main reason Stanca wanted to write it was because my um, children didn't know my parents, and I thought this is so sad. I had such wonderful parents, and my mother had such an amazing story that it was going to be lost, and so it was mainly for my children and my nieces and nephews, and and our family to know the story of my mother, and so I wrote it, and I was, as I said in the beginning, I was going to self-publish. And we we're about a month off going to print, and I thought I'll just try some publishers to see if they're interested. And within a week, I had a publisher who was really interested, a publisher from Melbourne called Wildingo Press, who have been absolutely amazing. And we've, we're into our, it's been released on the 1st of August, we're into our 10th print run, and we've sold thousands. And so we're, we're just blown away by the interest that other people have in this story. I thought it was a personal story for our family, but it's resonated with a lot of people. And I think it's the story of many migrants. They feel they can identify with it. And um, I've had a lot of people, the diaspora in Australia have been contacting me every week. I get messages from people saying how much they love the story. And it was launched in um, Blato, the library over there launched it and we zoomed in because of COVID and And we're busy looking for a publisher in in Croatia because my aunt and uncle can't read English and it's only published in English. So we would love it to be published in Croatian, in Croatia, so that we could, um, the older people over there, and even my cousin over there doesn't read or write English or speak English. So for the Croatians to be able to read this story, and it's a story of hope, and Despite all the adversity my mother went through, um, you know, she was resilient and she, she loved life. She, was, she had a zest for life, which was just magnetic.
0: Hmm. Well, you reached out to me last week about um, if I knew a publisher in Croatia, which I, I gave you a contact, I hope it can help, but if anyone listening you know, knows of any publishers in Croatia or has contacts, you know, maybe they can reach out to you uh, so your family over there can read it. You mentioned doing research for the book. I wanted to ask, how hard was it to actually get information, both you know, historical information as well as like your family history?
1: It was a lot of work um, because I, I'm a stickler for perfection, and because it was based on a true story, and a lot of these people are still alive—my aunts and uncles—I wanted it to be very, very accurate. So, um, from the World War II side, I was very lucky to find a book that was published that was in the library in Blato that told month by month what happened during World War II. So I photocopied and translated that, and that was very valuable. And a lot of the people in in Croatia told me stories about what happened during the war, and even people in Australia had memories. So um, And my mother had told us stories as well. So I collated a lot of those stories into uh, my book. Um, and then for when my mother first arrived, I did a lot of research. Uh, I went to Mossman and interviewed many, many people who are now in their 80s and 90s, uh, taping them and telling, telling their stories of what, what my mother was like when she arrived and little stories that happened. Because after the 1970s, I, I knew what happened. I, I, would be able to tell the story. So it was very, very important to have it historically accurate. And um, I'm very grateful to all the people that um, shared the stories with me. And um, it's, it's quite an interesting read. And it's interesting, the book, because people say that it's written well, but very simply with very small chapters. And a lot of people who's uh, English isn't their first language have told me they've been able to read it in Australia and understand and love it and they've particularly liked all the stories that have been put together so it's quite a quite a I'm very proud of this book actually and I can say that because of all the response that I've had and the feedback that I had but um, it's it's important historically I think it's a really important historical book for the diaspora.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I have to get my hands on this book, definitely. Um, I'll have to go down to Blato this summer. You know, I'm sure yeah. you know, I think I'll be able to make it to Corchola this summer. So, yeah.
1: Well, the I'll library definitely. have got two copies, but you can order it through Amazon.
0: Ah, okay. And is it international?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. To shipping yeah, and everything? Yeah. yeah, you can order it um, through Amazon. I mean, in Australia, we've got a lot of all the bookshops are selling it and Booktopia and, and things like that. But I think overseas the only way, I mean, I sent two books over to the library um, and I sent my aunt and uncle a book, but they couldn't read it. So they had to get their children to read it um, because it's in English. So, um, but yeah, Amazon, you can you can get it. That's I think that's the only avenue internationally at this stage. And that's where... I'm really, really wanting it to be in Croatian because I've even had people in Australia saying, "Could you, you know, could you have one in Croatian for the the old Croatian diaspora?" Yeah, but um, and I'm I just signed a contract on Sunday. We're doing an audio book, um, so that'll be that'll be great. That's happening. Um, in the next month, and I'll we have an actress that will read the book, but I will do do the postscript. There's ten pages in my point of view at the end of the book, and so I'm going to Sydney in September to do that. But the next step would be lovely to be a Croatian audio book to have someone. And there's an interesting thing, Stanko. I have a friend in Australia who's a music teacher who was very interested in my book and wrote a song about the book, which is beautiful. Wow. Um, it's it's um, it's just a wonderful piece of song and it's in um, I think one of the interviews um, ABC Nightlife Indira Naidu, who's a very famous Australian interviewer played part of the song in her interview as well so and we're looking for a Croatian singer to sing it in Croatian so that's the call out there and um, it would be lovely it's a beautiful song and she researched Croatian instruments and there's the mandolin in it and the piano accordion and it sounds very much like a Croatian folk song she did a good job and we've also got movie um, producers reading my, my book at the moment so you never know it might end up a movie well fingers crossed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow so you're super busy right now you're on like a I am, grand I book know. tour with everything going on around it.
1: Yeah, I'm very busy. I'm off to Townsville next week to um, be on two panels at a writers festival, so that's exciting. Yeah, I don't know how I fit in my four days of work, but I do. But (laughs) I'm really, I'm just really proud that the book's done so well, and that that I'm proud that the Croatian diaspora like it because that was my main concern. It's a very apolitical book. I didn't want it to be politics. Um, It was just my mother's story and what happened to her. And I've had really good feedback from the Croatians in Australia that they've they've just loved the way I've portrayed it. And Mm. they've laughed, they've cried. They said, yeah, it's very and a very emotional book. Lots of sad things, but lots of happy things as well. Lots of funny little stories that happened to her as a migrant.
0: Yeah, well, that's great that you're able to share her story with others in the diaspora and, you know, that people appreciate you know that story and all the work that you put into it i mean you mentioned going around and taping people on the island and then having to go back home and you know piece things together from that and write everything down yeah it's a lot of work
1: it was a lot of work but it was it was a labor of love i really really did Mm -hmm. enjoy took me three years to write and i really did enjoy the the journey and a lot of people are saying when am i writing another book and i said never i said I'd never wanted to be an author. I've got my daytime job. I just wanted to get this story down.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow. And now Deborah, you mentioned you got your citizenship recently. Congratulations. First of all, have you made any, any trips since then? Are you planning any trips this year or in the coming years?
1: Well, we were going to um, go for my birthday two years ago to Croatia, but COVID stopped that. Um, mm, course, so I'm, yeah. I've got to get my passport. I've got to get to go to Sydney to get a passport first, and that's my. Uh, I'll do that in September, and then, yeah, maybe next year or the year after. I would. I would love to go back. I've been about six or seven times to Croatia, but when I go, I have cousins in. A lot of my cousins are in Blato and 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 on the in the town of Korcula as well, and Split and Metkovic and Zagreb are where my family lives. So we've, I've kept my trips to there because they've been like fairly short, a few weeks to visit family. So I would love to go over and spend, uh, you know, three months there, and maybe see more of Croatia. I'd love to. I'd love to see more of the islands because I've only ever been to. I haven't been to any of the other islands, and spend more time in Zagreb. I have a lot of cousins that live in Zagreb, and it's a beautiful city. So yeah, see more of Croatia, and maybe next year or the year after, I might take long service leave and, and go with my husband. He's he's got an Irish passport, so we can stay quite a while if I've got my Croatian. So yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, Croatia is just a beautiful country, and I want to get. Better at the language. Um, every month, I have a group of friends, and they were all born in uh, Croatia in Blato, and we get together and speak um, only Croatian. We we call ourselves the Croatian Princesses, and we have a coffee at a coffee shop and speak Croatian for two hours. And there, as we we were laughing before, we speak the dialect of the old people um and they're proficient because it was their first language but they're they're teaching me and i'm getting better because i really when i go to croatia my aunt and uncle and one of my cousins doesn't speak english so i need to be able to speak croatian to them
0: yeah i think i mean that's an issue that i think a lot of the the diaspora have and myself included and that was one of the main reasons why i wanted to you know come to croatia and learn croatian you know to be able to speak with the family that that didn't leave and, you know, they don't really speak English. And my Croatian was never that good. Actually, I really <laughs> was never at all, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, barely anything. So, yeah, that's <laughs> that's definitely a big um, motivator to learn Croatian.
1: And is your Croatian getting better?
0: It is. I've been here in Zagreb for a year now. I mean, I feel like wow, I, can, excellent. I can say a lot of the things that I want to say, you know, simply put, of course, and not always grammatically correct, but but the problem for me is understanding. Still, you know, people speak yeah, faster speak so than quickly. I can comprehend. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, But I've definitely improved. Yeah.
1: Well, oh, that's good. You're you're learning through immersion as well, which is wonderful. exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, Deborah, um, you know, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You know, I see now how busy you are <laughs> with everything, so I appreciate you <laughs> taking the time.
1: Oh, thank you! I'm so so pleased. I found your podcast, and it was uh, your podcasts are wonderful. And thank you for agreeing to uh, interview me. I'm really grateful.
0: Yeah, of course, and definitely keep me updated on um, you know everything else going on. I want to find out about the song if you can get that published, and the audio book, and possibly a movie. I mean, that's pretty crazy. That's (laughs) that's just follow my Facebook
1: page. Follow the the girl who left. Of my, it's a Facebook page and all the news comes up on that. So I've got a lot of Croatians following that. So, Well, my, my cousins, I guess. So not a lot of Croatians, but my cousins. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's a good way of finding out all the information that's happening with my book. It's called The Girl Who Left.
0: Great. And I'll post links um, when this goes up. And thank whoever's you. listening, you can go ahead and click on those and follow The Girl Who Left. Deborah, thank you again. I really appreciate it. That's it for today's episode of the All Things Croatia podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you all enjoyed it. You can subscribe to the Patreon, and check out the All Things Croatia Instagram page to stay updated. Feel free to reach out to me with any questions, tips, or ideas, and make sure to tune back in to the next episode. Thanks again, and vidimo se!